In the last several weeks, let's get into our study this morning. In the last several weeks, we've been in this study series talking about being amazed by Jesus. People were amazed by Jesus and all of these stories. And I'd love for you to grab your outline and fill in the blanks as we kind of walk through it today. So, so, so we have these stories where people were amazed by Jesus. And what's interesting is in our culture, in our culture now, this is kind of called being a fan. That, that these people were fans of Jesus. They were amazed by Jesus. In fact, Jesus, if you don't know, Jesus ranks as one of the most admired people in history, even in our culture today. Most people think that Jesus was a good person, he was a good teacher, he lived a good life, he shared good truths. They are amazed at the things that Jesus did, they are amazed at the things that Jesus said. But here's the kicker, amazement rarely becomes faith. And that's usually as far as it goes, it's just amazement. You're just impressed. But see, Jesus wants something more than that. Get this down in your outline. Jesus wants followers, not fans. He wants followers. He's looking for you to make a choice to follow him. It's really clear. All throughout the Gospels, which are the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's basically telling the narrative, the story of Jesus. And in those accounts, all four of those writers, they, they communicate one thing, that Jesus is looking to gain followers. Not just people who are amazed by what he did, but truly living their life following him. See, Jesus is so much more than some gentle rabbi, good teacher. He's much more than a philosopher or healer. Jesus made some outrageous claims of being the son of God. And then what he did is he backed it up with these supernatural miracles and demonstrations of power that are, that are so difficult for us to get our minds wrapped around because they're amazing. Even today, Jesus makes hard demands on our lives. He calls us to follow him. I mean, Jesus calls out realities in people's lives, and people try to ignore these realities. Jesus breaks down barriers no one else even has the nerve to go against. Jesus calls for, for the dismantling of, of the way things are and the start of something better in our lives. All because he wants followers, not fans. See, he's looking for you to make a choice. So I'd love for you to use your Bible or um, this outline or maybe a mobile device or you could use the screens as well to follow along as we look at Matthew 12 just very briefly today. Um, let's take a look at it. It says, a demon-possessed man who was blind and couldn't speak was brought to Jesus. Now what's interesting in, in the New Testament accounts is that Jesus healed more blindness than anything else. If you look through the Gospels, you'll see that he had more times of healing blind people than anything else that he dealt with. But this man had, had some added things to this. This man was demon-possessed, he was blind, and he was unable to speak. So there were three things going on in his life. And what's interesting is we don't get a whole lot of information. We don't get his backstory. We don't know where he was from. We don't know why he was blind, why he couldn't speak, all of these kinds of things. All we know is that this man was brought to Jesus. And in the second part of that verse, it says that Jesus healed the man so that he could both what? Speak and see. 
Now, what's interesting is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament, they record 37 miracles that Jesus did here on earth. And the interesting part of this is in our culture, some people think that the New Testament just kind of shows things that happened as weird events that took place outside of normal life. That the the things that Jesus did, the supernatural miracles that Jesus did, were just weird abnormalities that took place in normal life. But in actuality, Jesus had a purpose for every miracle that he did. And, And the key is, it's in the word. I want you to write the word miracle somewhere on your outline. Would you do that? There's no space for it, so you just kind of got to write it in the margin or on top or something. Now, this is interesting. This word miracle, it, it comes from the original Greek. If you don't know, the New Testament was written in Greek and then translated so that we could understand it. This, this word miracle is actually the Greek word samion. And the word samion means, get this, sign. So, so basically, Jesus did miracles to show he was who he said he was. That's what I want you to get. These miracles had purpose. He wasn't just being kind and compassionate. He wasn't just showing off his power. He had a purpose in it. And the crazy thing is the Jewish people had a history of miracles all the time. I mean, you go way back in the Old Testament to the leadership of Moses. Moses, you know, God did the plagues of Egypt, if you know this, this story. There was the crossing of the Red Sea. Um, there was the miraculous military victories under Joshua, the conquest of the city of Jericho. Um, the day, there was a day that the sun stood still so the armies of Israel could fight. All of these are miracles that God did. There were miracles performed by Old Testament prophets like Elijah and Elisha that would just blow your mind. They raised people from the dead. I mean, these were amazing miracles, but what was so different about Jesus is never had so many huge miracles occurred in in such a short period of time by one person. It was pointing to something. So Jesus heals this man, and this man begins to see and speak right there in front of everybody. So get this in your mind. We're right there in the scene, and Jesus heals him. This man is talking. This man is seeing. He's never done that before. And it says the crowd was what? Amazed. There's our word. We've been talking about being amazed by Jesus. They were amazed, and look at what they ask. This is a good question. They said, could it be that Jesus is the son of David, the Messiah. Now, for us, I'm going to just assume this, that none of us are Jewish in the room. Okay, If you were Jewish, you you would understand the importance of that phrase, of that question. But because we're not, we kind of have to kind of catch up to this cultural understanding of this question. And really what they were saying is, could this man be the son of God, the one God chose to be king of the world. Son of David, Messiah. Son of God, king of the world. Wow, that's a big question. They were so amazed that they were saying, could this guy be the one we've been waiting on to change 
our lives and our world. I think they were connecting the dots. I'll show you here in just a minute. They, I think they were connecting the dots with what was being said about this Messiah, this Jewish Messiah that was coming. Ancient prophets wrote so much about this Messiah that was coming. Take a look at Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah, he writes this. When he, and he's talking about the Messiah, when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind, catch that, and unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like deer, and those, catch this, who cannot speak will sing for joy. You see how they're connecting the dots? They, they knew these Old Testament prophecies, these words being spoken years in advance. They knew that this was the description of the Messiah, the Son of God, the King of the world. And now this man, Jesus, is doing this in their midst, and the crowd is amazed. And they're saying, could he be that guy? Could he be sent of God? Could he be the Son of God that will change our world? So these miracles that Jesus used are signs pointing to who Jesus was. And the crowd was connecting the dots. Now, the irony of it, and I don't even think I go into it uh, today, I, I, I kind of cut some stuff in my message, but the, the irony of it is if you, if you know the history of Jesus, there was a point when Jesus came into Jerusalem and the crowd was excited to have him come. And they sang out, Hosanna, son of David. They, they were excited and they were putting palm branches down on the ground. and this, Just a sign of royalty. They were saying this king of the world is coming into Jerusalem. They were connecting the dots so much so <laughs> that the Jewish religious leaders were very concerned. Now why would they be concerned? It's because the Jewish religious leaders would lose their power and lose their hold over the people. Take a look. They weren't going to let this happen. Verse 24. But when the Pharisees heard about the miracle, what did they hear about? The miracle, the sign. They heard about the thing that was pointing out who Jesus was. Don't miss that. When they heard about it, look what they said. No wonder he can cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan, the prince of demons. So instead of saying he was doing it through the power of God... He's doing it through the power of Satan, that demons are casting out demons. Now, us logically, does that make any sense to you at all? I mean, you read into that, I read that, and I go, no, that a house against itself is going to fall, right? It's, it's a house divided. You, you know the Abraham Lincoln, you know, phrase, you know, you know all of it. I mean, so, so you know, they, they couldn't deny, this is the part, they couldn't deny that a miracle had happened. Why? Because the guy was talking and he was seeing, right? They couldn't deny that something had actually happened. So what did they do? They employed an old, age-old tactic called the big lie. They wanted to spread a big lie that would discredit what Jesus was doing. Basically, when you use a big lie, it's if you use something enough, if you say it loud enough, if you say it often enough, people will begin to believe it. And it's known throughout history. Just to give you some ideas, in history, did you know that the emperor Nero used this tactic, the big lie, 
to blame Christians for burning down Rome, when in fact, he was part of that burning down Rome. But he blamed Christians, and Christians ended up being persecuted by Nero. In fact, some people believe, some researchers believe that Paul the Apostle probably died at the hands of Nero or someone close there. Um, Here's another one that's more recent. Adolf Hitler and all of his henchmen used the big lie to blame Germany's economic problems, guess what, on the Jews. Did you know that? It's true. Look it up. It's amazing. So they, they, they pushed these big lies. In fact, Adolf Hitler and, and one of his key leaders, they said that if you say a lie enough, there's a quote, if you say a lie enough, loud enough, often enough, people will believe it. And that's how Adolf Hitler convinced the nation of Germany to lean into this idea of Nazism that affected our world forever. Hmm. So, so the, the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders, they're doing this with Jesus. They, they are not simply denying that Jesus has power. Their hope is to accuse Jesus, publicly accuse Jesus of being from Satan, not from God, from Satan, in hopes of getting the people to believe it. Wow, pretty tricky, huh? Here's the key, though. Verse 25, Jesus knew their thoughts. Don't you love that? I love those four words. Jesus knew their thoughts. He knew what was going on. They didn't even have to say it. He knew what they were up to. And he replied, if Satan is casting out Satan, he is fighting against himself. That's what I said earlier, right? I mean, just think about it. Demon casting out demon. They're fighting against each other. What's, that doesn't make any sense. He said, his own kingdom will not survive. Jesus is saying, it will not work. He's showing the absurdity of this argument that, that this is some kind of demon-on-demon violence which would bring self-destruction when you think about it. But Jesus continues. But if I am casting out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. Now, what is he saying? He's saying, if what I'm doing is of God, then God's kingdom is here with a king that is present, and that is me. Jesus is saying, the people are right. I am the son of God, Jesus says. I am the Messiah. I am the king of the world. You see that? He's saying, you are saying the wrong thing. The people are saying the right thing. And you, Jewish religious leaders, are trying to change their mind. But you're wrong. Hmm. Look what he adds. For who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man like Satan and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger. Someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. Now let me ask you a question, and it's just kind of an easy answer question. Who is the strong man in Jesus' illustration? He told us, who is it? Satan, okay? He's saying that the strong man like Satan. He says it very clearly. But then look what, the, the next question is, who or what is his goods? Now you've got to kind of read into this to understand it. But basically, 
Jesus is saying the people that are controlled by you are no longer going to be controlled by you. Because someone stronger than you, Satan, has come onto the scene and is making a difference in people's lives. The strong man, Satan, is strong no longer. Amen? Let's try that again. That was pretty weak. The strong man, Satan, is strong no longer. Amen? I mean, we know that to be true. Look at what, look at what John tells us of why Jesus came to earth. It says, the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. He had a purpose. So, by healing everyone who comes to him, by delivering people that come to him from demons, you know what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying, I have shown you that I am the Son of God, and no one has more power than I do. Wow. And then he follows it with a statement that is so challenging. Verse 30. Jesus says, anyone who isn't with me opposes me. Just let that settle in a minute. You know what he's saying? You can't stay neutral on this. You can't sit on the fence on this one. There is no neutrality here about Jesus. Jesus makes it perfectly clear that indecision, no decision about Jesus is actually a decision. It's a decision against him. If you are not with him, you are opposing him. And you may feel like, you know what, I don't really care one way or the other. It's just all spiritual mumbo jumbo. And so I'm just going to kind of ride along, whatever. You may be at that point, but you need to get this down on your outline. Jesus demands that I make a choice. He demands that I make a choice. In fact, turn to the person next to you and just tell them, make a choice. Make a choice. Today is a day to make a choice. Staying neutral about Jesus is not an option. I mean, you're, you're being asked to make a decision. Jesus requires that you choose. He's asking you today, do you believe in me? Or do you reject me? There's only two options. There is no middle ground. How I get that, and I guess the word that really moves me the most, and I want you to circle this on your outline, is the word with. Let me read it with me again. I'm going to put some emphasis to it. Anyone who isn't with me opposes me. Now, I want you to notice grammatically, and I looked it up, and even in the original Greek, it's not this way. He didn't say, Jesus didn't say, anyone who isn't for me. Big difference. He says, anyone who isn't with me, opposes me. This is not a political stand. This is not a belief. This is not just an opinion. This is not just something you think. Jesus says, if you're not with me, not if you're not for me, if you're not with me, you're in opposition to me. So why does he talk about the word with? Circle that word on your outline. Why does he include that word with? You know why? <laughs> Because he wants followers. He wants you to be with him. 
I mean, think about it. You're either aligning yourself with Jesus' plan and following Jesus, or you're not. You can't do both. Right? I mean, let's just think about it. I want to go left, and I want to go right. Can I do both? Be really difficult, wouldn't it? Probably would hurt. Right? Jesus is saying, you have a choice to make. Now, that applies to all of us. That's not just those of us who have never experienced the work of God in our life through Jesus. We've never experienced a relationship with Jesus. It's not just you. It's, it's, it's all of us. Some of us have come to faith in Jesus, and we call ourselves followers of Jesus. But guess what? We're not following all that well. We, we have a tendency to say, yes, Jesus, I'll go with you, but I need to go this way too. You know, I really want to follow you and do what you're saying in this way, but I really need to do this. And my question is, are you really following if you're not following? That's a weird question, isn't it? But think about it. How can you call yourself a follower of Jesus if you're not following him? Anyone who isn't with me. So today, if you're not a follower of Jesus, can I tell you that you will not experience the things that Jesus wants to do in your life? I, have, I just told you one thing, and I know I probably took too long to talk about what I experienced this past week. But that's just one thing of what I experienced this week, of God working out, Jesus working out details for me, and specifically things that I asked for. And I would miss out on that if I wasn't following him. But if you're already a follower, today I want to challenge you. Pick an area of your life. The area of your life that you would say, hmm, I'm kind of following what Jesus says there. I'm kind of doing what he's telling me to do. Let's think about that area for a minute. And I want you to ask yourself the question, am I really following Jesus in that area of my life? Are you doing what Jesus is asking you to do in that area of your life? Don't stay opposing him. Make a choice today. Move with Jesus. Change with Jesus. Respond to Jesus today and take the necessary steps to get in line and align your life with what he is wanting you to do and where he's wanting to take you in life. Maybe you need to work on a relationship today or maybe you need to end a relationship today. Maybe you need to forgive someone or maybe you need to be forgiven by someone. Maybe you need to align your finances with what Jesus says. Maybe you need to follow Jesus by loving your spouse more. Maybe you need to quit something. Maybe you need to start something. Today, here's the question. What is your response to Jesus? What is your response? Are you following him? Or are you just amazed by him? Don't stay amazed. You miss out on so much. Choose to follow him today.
Would you bow your heads with me? With no one looking around, please. Every eye closed. Just want to give you a chance to respond. What is your response to Jesus? If you're in this room and you have never really experienced Jesus in your life, you're in a great place. You're here hearing and seeking and questioning and thinking and all of that. And, and God works in that way in our lives all the time. That never stops. Listen, you don't have to check your brain at the door to be a Christian. God involves your mind and your heart and your soul in this whole process as you journey and follow him. And today, maybe you're thinking to yourself, I've never experienced Jesus in a relationship, like in this personal way that Bart's talking about. Maybe, maybe you're just sitting here thinking, that, that's something that I'm interested in. What I want to pray for you is that this week, something would happen. And I don't know where it's going to happen, but something would happen in your life, in your world, in your job, in your school, wherever it is, whatever you're doing, something would happen and there would be an awareness in your mind and hopefully in your heart too, that you would sense that this stuff is real. That what Bart's talking about isn't just some religious jargon. That God is real, that Jesus is real, that he wants to be a part of my life. That's all I'm really asking. And so today, if you're in that area of your life and you'd say, yeah, I'm, I'm up for that, I'm open to that. If, I would just like to see if, if this whole thing is real. I'm open to Jesus doing something or speaking to me this week in a way that I'm, I'm gonna know it's real. Yeah, Bart, I, I would like you to pray for me in that way. I want you to slip up your hand because I wanna pray for you. There's no one looking around. Is that anybody today? Say, that's me. Yeah, anybody else? Just say, that's me today. I want to know that he's real. Here's the second challenge. For those of us that are saying we're followers, how well are we following you? How well? In those areas, in that maybe one area of our life, how well are we following? He's speaking to us about stuff, but are we, are we listening? Are we doing it? You say, Bart, I got to get better. There's an area of my life that I know God is talking to me about, and I want to follow him in it. And I, I can't do it by myself. I need his help, but I, I choose today. I'm making a choice today. God, I'm going to follow you today. I'm going to begin doing what you've called me to do. Jesus, I hear you today speaking into my life, and I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do what you've called me to do. If that's you today, I want to pray for you that God will give you that strength that you need. Just slip up a hand. See, that's me today. Yeah, look at that. Wow. Awesome. God, you hear our hearts today. You feel us today. It's real. There's something about you that just, oh, man, you touch our soul. I know you did. You did to me this week. There's something about it that just how you move and how you show us and how you demonstrate yourself and your love and your care and your knowledge and your ability and your power, how you move in ways that are so supernatural and divinely orchestrated. It's amazing. And we are amazed by you. 
some of us in this